My name is Jonas. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm delighted to share with you from God's word this morning. I also want to take a, an opportunity to recognize my colleague, uh, Craig Johnson, for his work. He wrote a devotional for us this season. And Craig, I want to thank you publicly. And if you'd like to join me, thank you, Craig, for giving us that tool. I didn't ask for permission on purpose. He is a wonderful colleague and a devoted man, and I just appreciate, as we were singing that, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin, how much we have to be thankful for here this morning. Well, I'd like to pause for just a moment and pray together and then uh, invite you with me on a little bit of a journey through the text. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, thank you that we've gathered once again to worship you. Father, truly, the Lamb has come to take away the sins of the world. Lord, we've gathered in the previous weeks discussing what we believe to be true. We know it to be true with all that we are, that Jesus Christ has come to save sinners just like us. And so, Father, I pray that as we look at your word today, that your spirit would energize us, would awaken us, would stir within us a desire more and more to know you, to love you, and to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. I imagine many of you have heard this phrase, God moves in mysterious ways. Well, on this week of the calendar, for the last 10 years, I've been reminded of one of those mysterious ways that God moved. You see, it was 11 years ago that I was scheduled to do a wedding on New Year's Eve, 2010, going into 2011, we were in Laramie, Wyoming for Christmas, gathered as a family, and I got the alert on my phone that said, winter storm warning. And I called my friend who runs a trucking company, and I said, what do I do with this? I've only lived in Fargo for a year. And he said, if you want to make the wedding, you leave now. And so we did. We raced and raced legally by the speed limit from Laramie, Wyoming, and we made it all the way to a couple hours west of Sioux Falls, South Dakota before the fog set in and we had to stop for the night at Sioux Falls because the fog was just so blinding. The next morning we got up as early as we could and we noticed that it wasn't snowing yet, it was raining and that was good news, I guess. And we began heading north. And by the time we reached Watertown, my knuckles had clenched and my skin had lost all sense of color and we pulled over to refill the tank with gas and the snow was so heavy you couldn't even put your credit card in the gas tank in, to buy gas. We had to go inside. And we heard the people gathering together at the local restaurant that, did you hear the roads are closed? And I thought, oh no, I have a wedding to do. And a family to take care of. And we made it to the nearest hotel we could find because the chatter at the Burger King was that all the hotels were filling up. We reserved a room and then we began to settle in and, and read and realize that we were not going anywhere anytime soon. The one storm that was coming became two and if you remember that winter, it was a winter to remember. I'd never seen so much snow. The Lord works in mysterious ways. He gave my family a tremendous gift, time together. But he also gave us a tremendous gift because the next time, the next day with so much time together, I decided to get our oil changed 
And as the gentleman who was repairing our car took the car back, it wasn't long before he came back to me and with the strangest look I've yet to see in a mechanic's eyes, his eyes were this big and he said, Mr. Bundy, I have a problem to report to you. As I pour the oil in, it's coming out about the same speed. (laughs) You're not going anywhere anytime soon. (laughs) The Lord works in mysterious ways. What to me was such an upset to my plans and what had messed up all that I had organized and knew exactly what was going to do had just been put on the shelf. And in so many ways, as I reflect back over the last 10 years, the Lord protected us from what would have been a really bad experience for us. So maybe you've heard this phrase, the Lord works in mysterious ways. I learned this week that that phrase was made popular in 1773 by an English poet and hymn writer named William Cowper. Following a very dark bout with depressive illness, where he woke up after not wanting to wake up, he wrote this phrase, God moves in mysterious ways, to express his profound Christian confidence in the sovereignty of God. I hope today to change what you think of when you hear that phrase, God moves in mysterious ways. I hope to lift your eyes up to see something even more beautiful. Cowper's poetry contributed much to the church of his day. He was mentored by John Newton, the man who wrote Amazing Grace. Together they wrote many hymns and ministered to their church. You might remember that Newton spent years working on a slave ship and investing in the slave trade. And after converting to Christianity as an adult, he gave his life to the preaching of the gospel and to the ending of slavery in England. Newton and Cowper used their gifts to build up the church through their hymn writing and their preaching and with all that God had given them. While many today may say the phrase, God works in mysterious ways, it's good for us to remember this Christian confidence we find in their poem. The opening stanza reads, God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. A later stanza reads, judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. You see, Cowper did not deny the reality of evil and of suffering, but he did deny the victory of such things. We dare not doubt the reality of our God's smiling face. Friends, as we face uncertainty and the metaphorical storms of life, it's good for us to remember that we face them with a God who is in control of all things. Just as the sun still exists, even in the darkest of night or the most terrible of storms, so too does our God hold all things together. This Christmas season brings with it many memories, and I shared a few of those with you in our e-news this week. I trust that many of you benefit from that and encourage you to sign up for it. I trust that you've enjoyed your time this holiday season, and and I, I hope that you've given yourself time to ponder some of these mysterious ways that the Lord is even now working in your life. One of our favorite and frequently quoted passages about Jesus is from Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14. It'll sound familiar to you. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and we will call his name Emmanuel. Now, if you're joining us this morning and you don't have a Bible, I would love on behalf of Bethel Church to gift you one. 
We have friends who are coming down the aisle in just a moment. You can indicate that you'd like one, and I'll give you the page numbers as we go here. For others, thank you for joining us, you know, here in person and online. We'd love for you to follow along on your app or whatever tool you use to get access to God's word. I want you to see the words, and I want to take you back to that time 2,700 years ago and look at the scene where this most commonly used verse came about. It was a scene with the prophet Isaiah offering the people of God mercy and encouragement through the promise of a child. If you're following along on the Bibles that we're handing out, it's on page 591. 2,700 years ago, the 12 tribes of Israel had broken into two kingdoms. Israel to the north, who had turned against their God, Yahweh, and Judah, who remained as a remnant of the people of God, though much smaller than they once were. We read in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1, that the king of Israel, King Rezin, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but he could not overpower these people. Isaiah was sent to meet the king of Judah. His name was King Ahaz, and he offered to Ahaz hope and a chance to turn to God. God's promise was that the victory of Israel over Judah would not come to pass. What Ahaz had feared most would not be. God had told Ahaz to stand firm in his faith, verse 9, or he would fall. It's interesting as you reflect on the lineage of King David and the kingdoms of Israel, it was King David's son Solomon who was similarly given an opportunity to trust God. And when asked, he asked the Lord to provide him wisdom. And the Lord blessed this king and he gave him wisdom that was unmatched. When King Ahaz was presented with a similar offer, well, he was just religious enough to know he didn't want to mess with God. And so he rejected him. The text tells us that Ahaz refused the hope that was offered to him by God through the prophet Isaiah. Listen to these words from Isaiah chapter 7. And again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. He even uses religious language to disobey a beautiful invitation, or rather reject a beautiful invitation from the Lord. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try also the patience of my God? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread, they will be laid to waste. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. Friends, the Lord works in mysterious ways. At the opportune time, the Lord sent his prophet to the king and he said, test me. And the king rejected the Lord. And so God, by his prophet, said that this young woman who is near will give child, and before this child is even old enough to know right from wrong, those things which you feared most will no longer be. And by the way, his name will be Emmanuel. 
In the Hebrew language, this word virgin here in Isaiah 7 can also be translated young woman. And that's why you saw me use it there in the story. There's been much ink spilled or printed over the language of Isaiah 7. What we do know is that by the time this young boy was old enough to know right from wrong, the kingdom Ahaz had most feared was in ruins. We learn as we read in the Old Testament that King Ahaz was a man who lacked faith in God. He rejected his offer of encouragement, hope, and mercy, and instead found himself on the receiving end of God's chastisement. He must have known these words from Psalm 27. Wait for the Lord, be strong, take heart, and wait for the Lord. But rather than wait for the Lord, he chose to refuse the mercy of God. And his lack of faith cost him and his children dearly. And yet, this promise of God, of a child, was fulfilled. In that generation, the kings that warred against Judah were brought to ruin. The promise of a child came to pass. Surely God was with the family of this king. And God did what he said he would do. And yet, in the history of the people of God, even that fulfillment, well, it it was lacking. It wasn't all that there was there in the text. Like most prophecy of the Old Testament, there was a near referent in the prophecy and something a little bit further out. Right there and then, this young woman would give birth to a child and that child would be a visible reminder to everyone who knew of Isaiah's prophecy that God is still with his covenant people. And yet that child, like so many others in the lineage of David, would not live up to the hope of the Messiah who is to come. It was a few years later and just a couple of pages more in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 9 where he spoke of another child with similar words that eventually point us to the child who is Jesus. He says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. Listen to these beautiful words. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. On the greatness of this government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This side of the cross, when we hear those words, this side of the resurrection, when we hear those words 2,700 years later, how beautiful the expansive nature of those words that are being lived out even now through Christ's church. God promised that there would be a child on the throne of David who would usher in this peace. The child in Isaiah 7 would be a sign, and that sign yet would come of a greater child who is to come, and the reminder that God is with his people. I wish I could gift to you with precision The gift it was is my Hebrew professor sat and stood in front of his class and he mimicked Sesame Street. And he gave us the gift of learning what it meant to be near or far. We teach our children that this which is near, but then there's that which is far. And he could could do it with his voice. It was really beautiful. And I just, someday kids, help me with this. That which is near and that which is far. 
One of the images that's helped me most as I consider this near and far reference is that of driving to the mountains. As you get to know our family a little better, you'll learn that we, we have family all over the country and we love to go on road trips together. And one of my favorite road trips is to the mountains of Western North Carolina. But to get there, you get to drive through the beautiful mountains of Eastern Tennessee. The interstate runs west to east. And as you're traveling from the west to the east, you begin to see these rolling hills and these famed Blue Ridge Mountains. I was discussing this with a friend just last week, the beauty of the south. It's, it's gorgeous. You can't see the mountains because of all the trees on them. If you're from the Rockies, that, that joke failed. I'm sorry. When I was a kid, it was so funny because growing up, you saw the mountains with trees, and then you moved to the Rockies. Those mountains don't have trees. I apologize. I'll work on my humor. The point is this. As you're driving to the mountains, you begin to see the rolling hills, and for a moment, you think, oh, the mountains, they're beautiful. And then as you get closer, you realize those aren't the mountains. (laughs) Those are the hills, and as you get closer and closer, you begin to see the grandeur of the beauty of that which is being revealed. So too, so many of the promises of the Old Testament. There was something there. There was a reminder and a remnant that God is with his people. But oh, the beauty of that which is to come. The near reference of Isaiah's promise to King Ahaz, it was fulfilled in that young woman there. And yet that fulfillment, it wasn't all that was there. And we know now that the promise found its fulfillment some 700 years later in the person and work of Jesus. On page 827, if you're following along, you'll discover Matthew chapter 1. I want to read with you the text, and I want you to read it with the idea that we've passed through the hills of Isaiah. Now we're looking to the mountains of the story of Jesus. The text reads, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, if you're one who marks in your Bible or highlights or underlines, I want to step back through this and just identify with you and point out some of the significant phrases and words here in the text. Verse 20, Joseph, son of David. Make note, reader, that God is keeping his promise to King David that Israel's Messiah would be born from within the family of David. And here is how it happened. 
Verse 21, the child that Mary carries is conceived of the Holy Spirit. He is no normal child. And if you've been with us over the past several weeks, you've heard us teaching about the significance of Jesus being fully God and fully man. Verse 21, his name will be Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. You might highlight or underline that phrase. Because he will save his people from their sins. I want to invite you to consider for a minute the sobriety of that statement. Jesus has come to save his people from their sin. I found three words that help me when I think about what it means to be saved from my sin. And they all begin with a P, so my mentor would be very proud of me. Penalty, power, and presence. Jesus has come that we might be saved from the penalty of our sin. Friends, sin is real. And the penalty of our sin is death, both physical and spiritual. It's an eternal separation from God. That those who do not know Jesus will spend an an eternity apart from God should cause us to be sober-minded. To be on mission with the Lord to share this good news that there is one who was born who is named Jesus to save them from their sin. You've heard heaven is for real. So is hell. And if we believe what we say we believe, we have a tremendous task to share this good news. Jesus is born to save us from the penalty of our sin. This Jesus, who was born a baby, grew in maturity. He lived a sinless life, and he died as a substitute payment for our sin on the cross. But he did not stay dead. He rose again. And we rejoice in his resurrection. And we know for certain that he is the rescue we so desperately need from the penalty of our sin. Not just the penalty, but he also saves us from the power of our sin. In Ephesians 2, we read that we are saved by grace through faith. It's a free gift. None of us get to work it, get to boast about this, guys. We all come to Jesus as needy beggars. We all come to Jesus needing him to rescue us. And he tells us that we have not just been saved from the penalty, but we've been saved to this power of overcoming sin. When we trust Jesus, the Holy Spirit indwells us and he begins the process of making us more and more like his son. Colossians 1 declares to us that we've been rescued from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. Romans 6 tells us that maybe for the first time in Christ, we can say no to sin and yes to the Lord. The scriptures often speak of how our hearts before knowing Christ are hearts of stone, but in knowing Christ, we're given a heart of flesh. There's this living, breathing reality to what it means to be saved from the power of sin in our lives and how we are set free to then live for Christ. And then one day, friends, This Jesus who came to save his people from their sin not only saves us from the power 
and the penalty, but he will also save us from the presence of sin. We read in the end, in Revelation 21, that there is a time which is coming when the old things will be gone and there will be a new heaven and the new earth. And we have a tremendous hope. The next time you see that Jesus came to save you from your sin, what a beautiful thought. Verse 22 of Matthew chapter 1, you read that prophecy we spoke about. 700 years in the making. Like that drive through East Tennessee, the hill gives way to a beautiful mountain of gospel truth. God had something even bigger in mind than King Ahaz and likely Isaiah could have ever imagined. This Savior, born in the most humble of means, who's come to save his people from his sin. Verse 23, the virgin will give birth. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God's with us. As Matthew's writing to his Jewish audience, he's built the case that this Jesus is born in the line of David. I don't have time today, but I would encourage you sometime to go back and read that lineage story and notice and appreciate just how messy that lineage is. Because for some of you, you may be tempted to believe that that you may not belong in the lineage of Jesus because look at all those other people. They seem to have it all together. But I stand here before you to say, first, I don't have it all together. And most of the people I know from here, we don't have it all together. And certainly the people that Jesus has died for don't have it all together. That's why we're here. God loves taking broken people and using them to bring about the good news of Jesus. This little boy, he's not like any others who were born into the lineage of David. He's the greatest fulfillment of what Isaiah wrote about. He's truly God who is with us. He is Israel's Messiah. And as you continue reading through the book of Matthew, you realize that Matthew leans heavily on the book of Isaiah and the promises that were made, many with near references. They were were hills on the horizon who find their ultimate beauty in the person of Jesus. This single promise made 700 years earlier is just one of many. In fact, as you begin to study the scripture, you realize that Jesus, through his earthly ministry, fulfilled more than 200, some say 300, some count even more. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of what was promised. And so Matthew begins his message of good news with God is with us, and then he capstones his message with the same thought. Look in in, uh, Matthew chapter 28, it's on page 857 if you have it there. It's the last page of the book of Matthew. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some were doubting. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always. Did you catch that? Jesus continued the promise again, I am with you always to the very end of the age. The final words of Jesus, recording in the Gospel of Matthew, are foundational for our spiritual life. Jesus is with us. 
is the ultimate expression of God's presence among us. It's foundational to who he is. This Jesus, this fulfillment of Isaiah 7, 9, and so many more scriptures of the Hebrew Bible, he is the savior of the world and he has come to save the people from their sins. He died and he rose again. He is victorious over the grave and sin and he offers new life to any who will receive him. And the resurrection of Jesus provides a firm foundation from which we share this good news that God has come to be with his people. Friends, as we face the new year and as you share the good news of Jesus, one of the things you're going to hear is challenges, but if that's true, then what about this and what about that and what about this? And I would remind you like the Apostle Paul to come back to this thought, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Because the inverse is also true. If Jesus Christ rose from the dead, then all that he said is true. And he is worthy of our worship. God has made his promises known to us. And he offers to us a word of encouragement and a word of mercy. He has come to earth. His name is Jesus and he invites us to trust him once again. King Ahaz stood as a witness to the good things of God. He was one who had seen enough to know whether he wanted to participate with God or turn against him. And as we read the story of the Old Testament, we see that Ahaz was one who became hostile towards God. Pastor Colin Smith summarized this reality really well by identifying three kinds of people who are listening to my voice even now. I'll do my best to give him his due. First, there are those who hear these words and they find themselves hostile towards God. There's no desire and there's no ability to follow the things of God. And God has a word for you. He says that he has demonstrated his love for us. Even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Though you are hostile to God, he has loved you. Christ went to the cross so that those who were once enemies could become his friends. Dear friend, God loves you. And he invites you to repent, to turn to him. The second are those who are helpless towards God. There's this internal desire to obey God, but for whatever reason, you seem to lack the ability. You know that God's law is good and you want to do it, but you live as a prisoner who is stuck in your chains. Pastor Smith writes, notice the answer God gives when helpless asks, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Quoting the Apostle Paul, Dear helpless friend, Christ wants to rescue you. You don't have to live without the power of God living in you. Ask of him and you will receive. Your heavenly father loves you and desires to give the Holy Spirit to all who will ask of him. And the third type are those who are hopeful in God. I hope many of you find yourselves here this morning. As you hear this, as we go down this road, you're thinking, yes, Jonas, I believe. You have the desire to fight sin and the ability to prevail by the power of the Spirit. Again, quoting Pastor Colin Smith, he says, the Spirit is in you, so fight. 
When you fail, your enemy will come to you saying, you're so weak, you are never any good, and you are my prisoner. But brothers and sisters, that's not true. Answer your enemy with the truth because you know the truth who is Jesus and he will set you free. Hostile, helpless, or hopeful. If you have ears to hear, listen to the promises of God and respond with joyful hope. Remember that he has promised that he is with you even to the ends of the age. The psalmist wrote, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. There is no place you can go where God is not already there. So remember today that God is with you. He's with you individually. He's with us corporately. And this is foundational to the work that he's given us. The word teaches us that God is present whenever two or three are gathered in his name. The word teaches us and our lives give evidence too that the spirit of God indwells all who believe in him. And he is writing a tremendous story in us and through us. You might say, what could I do with this reality that God is with us? Let me remind you that it wasn't too long ago we talked about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control. And I already hear my daughter saying, you know, you forgot faithfulness, Dad. Whenever you feel that impulse to obey the Spirit of God, embrace it. For he is with you. And God's people give witness to the world. How? Well, Jesus said, by our love for one another. You see, friends, how you and I treat each other demonstrates to a lost and dying world of our God's great love for us. Listen to his words once again. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always, even to the very ends of the earth. Brothers and sisters, I don't know if you're feeling hostile or helpless or hopeful, but I want to invite you, as we turn the page from 2021 and begin 2022, as we celebrate a Savior's birth, to join with us, maybe for the first time, in the kingdom work of sharing the good news of Jesus.